my mama would say, put on your listening ears. Can we have the lights, please? Put on your listening ears because I believe the Lord has a word for us. We are going to continue going through. We're going to continue going through Isaiah 49 so you can turn there. How many of you have your sheet? Remember the one that we passed out last week? And it's all the different ways that you can get wet. That is, go where the unbelievers are to reach them with the gospel. Okay? And this is centered, for the most part, on friendship evangelism. Building relationships, being able to see God open doors of opportunity and share the gospel. Okay? You need to have that in, in Isaiah 49. If you don't bring a Bible, only because you use your cell phone, right, or tablet... Um, that's fine, but you just need to have it handy, that sheet of paper, because we're going to be praying about these things on a regular basis, okay? Very good. No more on that. Okay, if we could bring the slide up, that would be amazing. How many of you are aware of a phenomenon that happens every single summer in Mobile Bay, Alabama? Have you heard anything about, it's, it's absolutely amazing, happens actually, it usually happens several times during the summertime. Here's what happens. If you can see where the red is and the yellow and a little bit on the other side of the bay, that is, by the way, Mobile Bay. And if you look to the far left, that's actually where the ocean comes in. So where the ocean comes in is rather narrow, and that plays into this. But here's what happens. On certain circumstances, during the summer months, July, most of the time in August, and some of the time in September, all of a sudden, where it's red, and it happens in different pockets, it doesn't happen all the way up and down the coast, though it can for 15 miles, you can go out into shallow water, and you take buckets, and you just scoop the fish up. Generally, bottom feeders like flounder, shrimp, crabs, they're everywhere. There's thousands and thousands and thousands. Now, here's what they do. It usually comes at, like, just before dawn. And so when it happens, people are aware of it, and they start ringing the bells and flashing the sirens. And people take their pickup trucks down onto the, onto the bay uh, shore, and they get tubs, little round tubs. And they just scoop the fish out and the crabs, and they'll fill up beds of trucks and haul it off. And they'll just they'll have a party out on the beach. And it's a jubilation party. So they actually call this, when they ring the bell, they shout, Jubilee! Jubilee! Now, Jubilee is celebrate. So they, have, they end up having a party, and it is just an amazing thing. Now, here's why it happens. There are certain conditions in which this has to fit. Only during the summertime, August being the most frequent, it happens just before dawn. The wind the day before and the day of, it needs to be from the easterly direction. The tide has to be rising. Once the tide changes, the phenomenon immediately stops. And the salty water, here's what happens. Vegetation from the river comes down and sits, for the most part, just several hundred yards off the shore. It tends to settle in lower park pockets, and then seawater, the salt water, Come, can come in, you see the arrows and kind of blankets it that causes then an isolated ecosystem all of the bottom feeders then feed on this vegetation but what does what, do ve what does vegetation feed on? oxygen so what happens is that little 
space under this blanket of salt water becomes uh, oxygen deficient and all of the bottom feeders they get lightheaded and they do crazy things I mean when the crabs crawl up they'll climb up trees they'll just do crazy things and in order to escape this because they're gonna die if they don't they go they rush to shore and so it it forces all of these flounder the shrimp the crab forces them to shore and there's just thousands upon thousands of them they call it a jubilee tonight I want to talk to you about a different kind of jubilee but it is a celebration it is a jubilation and we actually are gonna find what we what the Bible calls the year of jubilee that's actually in the Bible the Messiah that we have been looking at here in Psalm 49 is going to declare a jubilee. We're going to look at that. In the verses that we, we're going to look at, we're actually going to find it uses different words, and we're going to connect some verses that are in Isaiah in order to see this. But what is this year of jubilee? How does it relate to the Messiah? Let me read for you then. I'm going to back up. I did preach on verses 1 through 7, but I'm going to back up to verse 6 before I get into verses 8 and 9. We're only going to cover a verse and a half tonight. <clears throat> he says, that is the Lord, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant. Who is my servant? Tell me, somebody, what's his name? Jesus. He is the suffering Messiah or the suffering servant that this whole chapter is about, or the first half here that we're, that we're going to be looking at. Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Judah, excuse me, Jacob, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. That's actually quoted, by the way, in Acts 13, 47. That you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to Jesus the one who's despised by men, to the servant of rulers, another name given to Jesus. Listen to this. Kings will see you and rise up. Kings do that in order to honor. So here's a king. A king is the one you give honor to, but kings will rise up in the presence of the Messiah. And then it says, princes will see and bow down. That is another way to give honor. Isn't that strange? We either stand up or we bow down to give honor. Because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Now, that is what we looked at, and a few more, actually, what the previous verses that I didn't read, but that's where we stopped. Here's what we're, I'm going to be preaching on tonight. This is what the Lord, that is Yahweh, that's his name, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. This is what Yahweh says, in the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritance, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. Church, can we just say that together? Be free. One, two, three. Be free. I'm going to give you another chance on that because I'm going to be saying this a lot tonight. One, two, three. Be free. This is what the Messiah says. And actually, the phrase that's given there in the Hebrew means to come into the light. It actually means reveal yourself. We're going to get into what that really means. Guys, there is so much 
uh, truth in this, so much application. This is, we're going to find the heart of the gospel tonight. And it, you know, sometimes, they, like Julia, uh, Juliana, here we go. I, I love what Juliana shared. Can, can you relate to that? That sometimes when you go through life, it's like, wow, this is the truth of God's word. Why have I not seen this? This is the, the revelation of God's grace. How have I not seen this before? This is amazing. Okay? Anyway, we're going to find that, I believe, here, just in this concept of the year of Jubilee. When he says here, in the time of my favor, that's Yahweh speaking, in the time of the Lord's favor, I will answer you. You in some of your versions, has a capital Y for a very good reason. You, that's spoken of in this verse, is the servant. Something's going to happen to the servant so that God will answer him in the time of my favor. Something's going to happen to him, and God is going to help him in the day of salvation. This, by the way, is quoted in the New Testament. I'm going to get to that at the very end of the sermon. It's so relevant. But I want us to realize that this is God speaking, continuing to speak to his servant, the suffering servant, Jesus, the Messiah. So how relevant is it? The time of my favor, the day of salvation. Turn with me. Turn with me. Keep your fingers here. We're going to come back to this, of course. I still have more to preach from. But turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah 61. See, that's only a few chapters to the right. Isaiah 61. Jesus read this and preached from this when he visited Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. And he basically said, this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing today. He's the anointed one. He's the one who was sent by God to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners. Sounds like something we just read, doesn't it? And then it says this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Interesting how he's talking about favor or grace and vengeance. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But this proclaim the year of the Lord's favor is a very clear Reference to this year of Jubilee. Let me tell you something about the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was somewhat similar to the Sabbath year. The Sabbath year happened every seven years. On the Sabbath year, if you were a slave, you would be set free. Every seven years, slaves were set free. Now, slaves in the Old Testament were vastly different than the slavery America experienced, by the way. That type of slavery America experienced was kidnapping. It was bondage, many times murder. Slaves had rights. You were a slave because you became indebted. You found yourself in debt, and the only way to pay it off was with your flesh, a pound of flesh, if you will. But you worked for only six years, maximum. By the end of six years, you were done. So sometimes it wasn't even six years. But every seventh year, the Sabbath year, all slaves were released. Not only were slaves released, all debts were canceled. Sounds pretty cool, huh? How many of you have a debt? Any of you have a debt? You owe somebody money? Maybe it's for your house. Maybe it's for your car. Imagine that every seven years, whatever debt you had, totally canceled. 
Woohoo! Yeah, all right. Isn't that a time for a jubilation? Yeah, we just watched the Grinch. They call it a jubilation. Anyway, sidetracked there. But what did you, that's a year of jubilee. Now, the year of jubilee, this happened every seven, seven. So 49 years went by, and then the next year, the 50th year, that was the year of jubilee. Now, sometimes jubilees, that, that's just come to us, and, and it means a celebration of every 25 or 50 years. That, that's just how it's come down to us. It started in the Old Testament. This year of jubilee, every 50th year, so 49 years between, seven sevens of years, they would do both of those things, but they would do one more thing. Back in the book of Joshua, when they took the promised land, Joshua, when it was conquered, divided the land up. You received an inheritance. I love Caleb's story about, he says, you know, I, I, want, I want Hebron, because Hebron is where the giants live. Give me Hebron. The guy's 85 years old. I think he's one of my heroes. He's 85 years old, and he was like, ah, and he's gonna, he, wants to, he wants to kick some giant butt, okay? And so he, he gathers, gathers his people and goes there and conquers the people. That's his inheritance. Here's the thing about Jubilee. There were times in which you ended up selling some of your property for various reasons, usually indebtedness. Every 50th year, land was restored to your family, the original owner, the original family. Land went back to them. People were aware of this. So slaves are set free, debts are canceled, and all land was restored. Do you see any of this in the Isaiah 49 passage? Of course you do. We're going to get into that in just a moment. So let's understand then that this year of Jubilee, when it comes to us through the Messiah, and Jesus preached that he was the fulfillment of this, Luke 4, in Nazareth. I am Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He was the one who came to be the one declaring the year of Jubilee. The year of freedom. Freedom from slavery. Freedom from debt. Freedom from other people owning you. Land, in particular, land was the main commodity in, in their day. He was the one who was going to do this. It's interesting how the year of Jubilee declares freedom. And church, let me tell you this, that the way the Messiah, he didn't just declare it. Do you remember? It says he was made to become a what for the people? Look there in Isaiah 49. What did he become? He became a covenant for the people. How odd is that, church? For someone to become a covenant. Cole, how would you feel if I said, brother, I'm going to become a covenant for you? You would scratch your head and you would say, Mike, are you crazy? What, what, what do you mean by that? How do you become a covenant? A covenant is a binding contract. And in the Old Testament, generally binding because of blood being shed. Do you hear the gospel anywhere in that? Jesus became a covenant for the people, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. He became a covenant for them that would make, that he would be the sacrifice 
that would satisfy the just wrath of God for my sin. That's how I can now have fellowship with the Father because my sin has offended him and he is his wrath is poured out upon me. But by God's, by, by God's grace, through Jesus Christ, his blood shed for me. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 8. Jesus' blood shed for me now appeases, if you will, the just wrath of God. Jesus took the just punishment for my sin. Okay? I, I, I want to just share this with you. It's such a, a, such a, a rich truth. When Jesus died on the cross, as a matter of fact, just you by wearing a cross does two things, whether people are aware of this or not. The truth of that cross says two things. Number one, it says, you're a sinner. If Jesus died on the cross, why did he die? Why did Jesus die? He died because Mike Curtis is a sinner. When I look at a cross, it, it should tell me Mike Curtis is a sinner, or at least was a sinner. Now I'm a saint, but I was a sinner. So it brings judgment. That's what John, 10, John 12 tells us. The cross brings judgment to the world. Because here is God stepping down out of heaven to earth to die for your sin. I'm a sinner. I am condemned as a sinner. But then the cross also speaks a word of hope. It says to me that by the cross, all of my sins can be forgiven. Why? Because the Messiah, the suffering servant, Jesus, has become a covenant for me. His blood shed for me, all my sins washed away. You know what? The Bible says I was a slave to sin. All slavery is canceled. It also says I'm indebted to God and I owe him, but all my debts have been canceled. The Bible also talks about land, the inheritance. God created me, placed Adam anyway in a perfect earth, and that was his inheritance, and he lost it because in the Garden of Eden he sinned. That I am going to, we are going to be receiving this inheritance. We receive, we've received it as Christians in part now, and in heaven we will experience it in full. Amen, church? And so this is the land that is restored. He says this if you were to go back to Isaiah 49. Why does he become a covenant? What's the big deal? Why does he need to become a covenant? To Declare the year of Jubilee to actually make it happen. He's going to, what does it say? He's going to restore the land. That I realize it has become very fashionable in our day amongst Christians to talk about the everlasting covenant given to Abraham that includes the land. And for this reason, that land belongs to Israel. Now, I'm not going to doubt for a moment that God gave land to Israel. But when it talks about restoring the land here, he's not talking about literal land. He is talking about the spiritual inheritance that he has given us. But you say, wait a second, Mike. The land covenant was an everlasting covenant. 
So, of course, based on that truth that it's an everlasting covenant, we still have that covenant available today, then he's referring to the land covenant, literal land that he gave to Israel. So here's what I'm going to ask you. Are you aware that circumcision was an everlasting covenant? Are you aware that the Sabbath was given as an everlasting covenant? Are you aware that the Levitical priesthood was considered an everlasting covenant? Are you aware that the Davidic kingly line was given as an everlasting covenant made with Saul? There's actually at least seven everlasting covenants in the Old Testament, and every single one changed at the cross. Are you aware that I don't we don't need to be circumcised? I, I hope you're aware of that. We don't need to be circumcised for salvation. We don't need to be. I, I clarified myself. We don't need to be. And but I tell you what, scripture says that circumcision was an everlasting covenant. So why don't I have to be circumcised? Because Christ fulfilled it. And now the literal shadow or figure of circumcision is fulfilled in Mike Curtis having a circumcised heart. The everlasting covenant of the priesthood. Look around the church today. Do you see any priests? I'm talking about priests according to the old covenant. You don't. You don't. I mean, I realize some pastors are called priests. That's not what I'm referring to. The priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, has been fulfilled in Christ. We, Mary Smith, you are part of God's royal priesthood. Rose, you're a part of God's royal priesthood. Even though you're a woman, God has made you a priest, priestess, in his kingdom. A royal priestess. Okay? Are you aware, Cole, that... God, when we look at the Ten Commandments, one of those commandments I am guaranteed to fulfill, and that is the Sabbath, because Christ fulfilled the Sabbath. So are you aware, Cole, that you actually have a permanent peace because you are a follower of Jesus? You have a rest in Him. You have a Sabbath rest. It is all yours. It's guaranteed. You don't have to do anything for it. It's given you because you believe in Jesus. That is the spiritual fulfillment of this everlasting covenant of the Sabbath. I'm going to suggest to you that the everlasting covenant of the land that he's referring to that is going to be restored was changed at the cross, just like all the other everlasting covenants. They're everlasting, but they changed. How did it change? Now, the promised land that was given to Israel, literally given to Israel, and so for that reason, because God gave it to them, I believe that they should still have it. But when he's talking about restoring the land, now he's talking about something very spiritual. Now he is talking about all of the, see, the promised land's your inheritance. All of that inheritance is in mind. Saxon, what kind of inheritance as a follower of Jesus do you have? Just give me one thing that, you, that God has given to you as part of your inheritance. Everlasting life. Wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Everlasting, who believes has everlasting life. It's part of your inheritance. You're absolutely right. Hillel, can you share with me one other uh, aspect of the inheritance that God has given to you through Jesus? Okay. Priesthood. Okay. So, so let, let's just roll with that. As a priest, then that means I have access 
not just to the holy place, but I can now go into the holy of holies. I can now have an intimate relationship with God that my sin no longer stands in the way. Okay, because the veil of the temple has been torn into. I am now a priest, forever a priest, in the presence of God. I can minister to him. Church, you can minister to Jesus. That's what we were doing before I came up here and started opening my mouth. You were worshiping Jesus, and you were expressing your devotion to him. And so this land, this is an inheritance. It's talking about your justification by faith. The very fact that now the Holy Spirit resides in you and it cries out, Abba, Father, to him. Why? Because you're a part of his family. Cody, you're an adopted son of God. You're a part of his family. Forever in his family. See, this is part of the inheritance. You have been, you don't, you're not just, you have not just been uh, baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ and you now have a new family. But now the Holy Spirit empowers you. Mickey Lana, the Spirit of God, has empowered you with spiritual gifts to be his witness in, Jer in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Should God open that door for you? He's given you power. My Bible tells me in Luke 10 that he has given you, Marla, he has given you all authority over the power of the devil. You have all authority over the power of the devil. That's not just something that's, wow, that's like really cool, but it will never happen. It can happen every single day in your life. Why? Because that's what Jesus promised me. That's part of my inheritance, and it's part of yours. See, this is the restoration of the land. Why? Because as you read further, it says there, and to reassign its desolate inheritance. Remember in the year of Jubilee? The year of Jubilee took those that piece of land and it reassigned it. It goes back to you. See, that's restoration. He's taking the, what type of inheritance does it say it was? A desolate inheritance. When Mike Curtis was lost in his sin and a slave and addicted to my sin, granted, I was only 14 years of age. God spared me a lot of different types of sins to get into. But, but, but I, I shared enough. Trust me on that. And my life is desolate. That's what it just shared with me. As a human, through Adam, I lost it all. I was born a sinner. I lost it all. I was like, I was like the lost son who squandered all of his wealth and was ready to eat pig slop. That was my curtain. I, mouth open, hungry, ready to devour the junk of the world. Pig swill. That's where I lived. Some of you, you ate more than I did. Just saying. You, you enjoyed it too. Wow, yeah. Let's be honest, church. How many of you enjoyed your sin before you came to Christ? Okay, the rest of you are lying. The, the truth is you sin because you like it. We sin because we like it. And it's addictive. That's what makes us a slave. We're compelled. We just keep doing it. But I'm, I'm going to get there in a moment. But you know what? Even as Christians, we can still feel that addictive drawing in our soul. I'm going to get to that in a moment. Jesus came and he restored 
He, re he reassigned the desolate inheritances. And here's the cool thing. He says to the captives. This word captive literally in the Hebrew means those who are bound. Now it's translated captives because generally speaking, captives are the ones who are bound. So I'm okay with that. But just understand in the Hebrew, it's those who are bound. He tells them, those who are bound, he says to them, come out. Some of your translations say, go forth. Two different ways of looking at the very same thing. Come out or go forth. Come out of what? You have to see both of these phrases together. Because if you're bound, you're not just a captive. Listen to me, church. You were I was, Mike Curtis was a prisoner in a prison cell. I was in dungeons of darkness. By the way, that is what Jesus came to declare. He came to declare release from darkness to the prisoner. I want you to imagine yourself before you came to Christ, assuming that you did, you're bound Peter in his prison cell. Acts 1, you remember Peter was placed in a prison cell and he was awaiting a death sentence. And the church gathered together to pray all night, fervently pray all night. Here he is. He's bound. He's in a dungeon cell. He's in darkness. And an angel comes up to him in his cell, taps him on the shoulder. I can imagine he punched him and said, come on. Get up. Follow me. And the chains fell off. In essence, that's a literal story of a literal situation in which an angel came in and said, Go forth. Your chains are broken. You're no longer in the darkness. Come now into the light. Which, by the way, is the literal translation of this. It says, To those in darkness, it says, Reveal yourself. You reveal yourself by coming out of the shadows into the light, right? So he's saying, come out of the darkness, now into the light. This is what it's getting at here. This is release, church. This is prison. People who are bound in prison, in darkness, and they're now being freed, and they're coming out of their bondage into the light which is the truth, which is Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the it's meeting with Jesus, very covenant for the people, and he has now declared, you are free, come out, be free. This is the promise that we have, church. This is the declaration of the year of Jubilee, but let me tell you, remember, the cross doesn't just speak freedom for those who are in bondage, that they can come out by faith, but it also brings justice. It speaks judgment. It says Jesus had to come out of heaven to die for you as a sinner. Can you read between the lines? So the year of Jubilee is awesome for those who receive that and walk in that freedom, but it says judgment, or as Isaiah 61 says, the, the day of God if we do not respond. So here is the Messiah. He comes into your prison cell 
Just like that angel literally came into Peter's prison cell. Dark soldiers. They even say that soldiers were at both sides. So I'm going to imagine that a deep sleep came upon them and the angel nudged him and said, get up. The chains suddenly fall from his hands, his wrists, his feet. He stands up in obedience. Follow me. He follows him, sneaking you know, real quietly, tiptoeing past the, the guards, follows the angel out, and he realizes, oh my goodness, this was an angel of the Lord. And he immediately goes to John Mark's house. And he's standing at, you remember that, I'm not going to get into that, uh, honestly, that's kind of a humorous story to me. But you know, they've been praying, and here he is, and they're so excited, they leave him outside. They just start having a jubilation, and oh yeah, yeah, we, uh, we didn't get Peter at the door, did we? Bring him in, you know? And it, I think that's kind of funny, honestly. But this tells me that spiritually, Meredith, Jesus came into your prison cells, and he broke those chains, those addictive chains of sin and he says, come out. Let me give you another analogy, powerful one in John 11. Jesus is told that Lazarus, one of his close friends is sick. He waits two days. May I add, purposely waiting then leaves and it takes two days to get there Lazarus has been dead now four days that he arrived in Jewish understanding after the third day your spirit is supposed to leave not necessarily that that's true but for them they were totally uh, he's, he's deader than a doornail he's gone you, you, you ain't doing nothing now and if any, Jesus why didn't you come right away you could have healed him can you imagine Jesus knows what he's going to do his heart's breaking something so cool. God the Father has something so cool. So Jesus says, bring me to his tomb. And he stands at the tomb and he weeps because he sees the effects of the curse of sin. Death. And it's so, it just emotionally, it just catches him. And then he says this. He just stands there and he says, Lazarus! Come forth! What happens? The stone had been rolled away, or anything blocking the tomb had been rolled away. And Lazarus, dressed in his strips of cloth, walks out. He's alive! Can I ask you, what happened? Jesus spoke with authority. And the spirit of life breathed into him physical human life, and he was physically raised from the dead. Spiritually, that is what happened to you. You were in your tomb, dead in your transgressions and sins, and God raised you up in Christ Jesus. You're alive now. So Cody, the father, called your name Cody, and you came alive in Christ. What did Lazarus do? 
Lazarus apparently heard his name and he called out, Sorry, it's too comfortable in here. I love the dark. I'm in the midst of playing a game here. Give me a few minutes. Lazarus obeyed. Lazarus walked out of the tomb and was released of his grave clothes. He wasn't released of his grave. He came to life in the tomb, but he wasn't released of his grave clothes in the tomb. He obeyed. The voice of Jesus came out of the tomb and was released of his grave clothes. Some of you right now, as, as I'm going through this passage, you're thinking, well, do you know what? Here's what I don't get. This is a promise to every believer. And yet today, I find that I am addicted, and you fill in the blank. I'm addicted to this drug. I'm addicted, if you were to be honest, to my alcohol. I'm addicted to pornography or lust. I'm addicted, you fill in the blank. I'm addicted to this food. I'm addicted to anger. Bitterness. It feels like I just swallowed me up. I can't get rid of it. I can't escape it. What dungeon might you find yourself in today? What do you... So here's what you're probably wrestling with. If Jesus says that I'm free, why aren't I free today? I have only a few minutes left. First of all, the reason why you're not free is because you have not quite learned how to renounce your sin and lean on the grace of God. What a tragedy. So many people come to Christ and their life changes about that much. Because they're Lazarus with their grave clothes saying, I got this, Jesus. Give me a few minutes. You know, actually, the darkness is a bit comfortable out here. Actually, you know, it's a little bit too warm out there and I love the coolness of the tomb. And you're sitting in the tomb. Or you're like Peter and the the chains have been broken. The angel says, get up. And you say, I'm afraid to. What about the guards? Do you realize, angel? And you look around just to make sure that your whisper's low enough. Do you realize that if I wake them up, they'll kill me? I can't take that chance. Or maybe you're saying, you know what? I just like you. The chains have been broken on your hands and on your wrists. The door is open, but you choose to sit. How do you get from there on the ground in the darkness, though your chains have been broken, to stand up and walk out the cell and be free? Number one, listen to me. Number one, you have to renounce your sin. That means be honest, confess it. If you're an alcoholic, you have to confess it. If you don't confess it, if you don't confess that you're a drug addict, you will never, ever overcome your addiction. Won't happen. Just won't. I don't care how much you pray about it and just say, you know, God, it would be nice, you know. You have to admit that you have a problem. And I'm not talking double A or triple A here, okay? I am talking about the truth of God's word. You have to admit and confess addicted to this sin. Then you have to renounce it. Romans 12 says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. The reason why we're in that dungeon is because we like our sin too much. 
the reason why you're still in the dungeon, my friend, even though the chains have been broken, and yes, you may be a blood-bought son or daughter of Jesus, you're still in that grave because you like your sin too much, and you have not learned to hate your sin and cling to what he's doing. And there's a third thing. The Bible says that <coughs> when we walk in the grace of God because his grace is enough. Church, I'm going to say that to you again. For you to come out of your prison cell, Jesus' grace is enough. Then why doesn't it feel like enough sometimes? Why do I feel like I try and then I fall back down? And here is why. Because you have not truly learned to lean on his grace. You try and in your flesh try. And yes, you may pray. But when you fall down, you stay on your bones. And my Bible tells me a righteous man falls seven times. Don't try to count that. Seven is just simply means he can fall regularly, but he gets back up. A righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. The problem is you don't get back up. And you stay and you wallow in the sin and wallow in self-pity and condemnation and guilt. And the devil has you trapped again. So here's what I'm saying, real simple. And, and I say it real simply, but it is anything but simple. It'll be the hardest thing you ever do to get out of an addiction. To get free. When Jesus says, come forth, Lazarus, come forth. You must renounce your You must hate it. And by renouncing it, confess it, repent, and then secondly, you must hate that sin. Ask Jesus to put a hatred for that sin in your heart. And then thirdly, you have got to learn to lean on the grace of God so that when you fall, you don't get consumed in guilt. You stand back up and you say, Jesus, I'm ready to fight again. And if I have to bring brothers or sisters along my side to fight with me, I'm going to do that. I am not ashamed. I will confess it, but I need people standing with me to walk in this freedom. Now, don't, 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 get, don't misunderstand me. They are not the ones who are going to set you free, the people you gather around. They can only help. Jesus is the one who will set you free. Jesus is the one who declares your freedom, but you have to walk out of the tomb just like Lazarus did. And Jesus will take those great things away. Jesus will set you free. You know, Paul said that when his life got so hard, so hard, he said this, in my weakness, that's when I realized just how strong I was. Because in my weakness, God's power is made perfect. I realized that I can't, and I must Because only he can do the impossible. Only Jesus can set you free. He's the bondage breaker for you, calling you out of darkness into his kingdom, and then daily allowing you to walk in that freedom. And every day he will call to you, Mike Curtis, come out! And man, I hope I run out of that grave. I hope any time I get caught up in a sin, I run out, I confess it, and I I cling to Jesus. He's the one who's going to take care of those grave clothes but I have to come out. I must obey him. 
if I stay in there for any reason, having a pity party, you list, there's tons of reasons why we stay. We will never be free. Not ever. If we refuse to admit that we have a problem, we will never be free. So I'm, I'm just going to ask you tonight, are you free? And can I say for all of us, to, in varying measures, we struggle with sin. And I am so sorry, but that is our lot between now and when we get to heaven. We will struggle with sin, some better than others, learning, though, all the while to trust and lean on his grace. His grace, remember, it's everything he has that I do not. I'm not, I'm not asking, like, are you, are you determined? Like, that's more kind of a, an emotion. Yeah. yeah, I'm determined today. No, no, are you surrendered? That's the key. That's determined. That's faith. And faith says, I will, if I'm stumbling, I will rise up because I believe in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. He's the bondage breaker. He has declared me free. I am going to walk in this freedom. I don't care what the devil keeps whispering in my ear. I don't care what accusations. They're all false. Because in Christ, I am free. My sins are forgiven. I was a slave and I'm no longer a slave. I was in debt and every debt is canceled. I have lost everything. But he has taken that desolate inheritance and he has reassigned it to me. That is the year of the Lord's favor. That is the year of Jubilee. I want to challenge you. Remember, the jubilee, church, that's a celebration. Paul says this. He quotes this. In 2 Corinthians 6.1, he says, In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. You being the Messiah. But he's trying to tell them that day of salvation wasn't a 24-hour period. You're in that day right now. So then he adds, now is the day of now is the time of God's favor. Church, don't wait any longer. Now is the time. Now is the day. Now is the time of God's favor. Can you stand with me? If you right now want to stand, or if you want to kneel, or if you want to come to an altar here to pray, I'm just going to ask, can every single one of us, as we have listened to this, Allow right now the Spirit of God to speak to your heart. Maybe He just needs to whisper words of encouragement and love as you have stumbled upon His grace and found it more than enough. Or maybe you feel like Lazarus and you're still in the tomb. Chains have fallen, but you're still in the tomb. Or maybe today your heart is still resisting. I'm not preaching psychobabble from modern-day psychology today. I am speaking from God's Word. So this is His truth. My friend, come out and be free. That's His promise. You will be. Father, I just ask You right now, as Your Spirit is speaking to our hearts, may we be able to tune everything out and just hear Your voice. 
be free. I just ask you, Spirit of God, right now, speak to our hearts, every single one of us. But I'm asking you to do it in a very personal way. You know every single one of our situations. You cannot lie to me. And I'm asking you, Spirit of God, set unbelievers free to Set believers free to Because this is the time of your favor. It's the year of Jubilee. And I'm just asking you, Father, let us pray for you. Whatever needs to happen here in the heart. You break the chains as we cry out to you in desperation, Lord God, in the agony of our prayer. Speak to our hearts, Lord God, and speak life in Jesus' name. Speak freedom in Jesus' name. And I just ask you, Lord, do that right now every single one of us is doing